Moon Knight episode two is upon us. And just like the first episode, it left us thrilled, excited, and with several pieces of the puzzle we as watchers need to fit together. Today on Night Night Spectre, we don our best posh white suits, grab a bowl of lentil soup, and ponder the crimes of fully grown babies. No, really, all of that happened in the show. Spectre, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and splintered mind of Moon Knight. I'm your host, Lawrence. And I'm Elizabeth. Welcome to the show. The second episode of Moon Knight on Disney Plus has arrived, and, and our excitement to talk about the show has not died down at all, surprisingly. Unsurprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> we have more reactions, speculations, and questions to cover today on the show. From an all-white suit that never gets dirty to a man with glass-filled shoes whose motto should be, fuck them, kids. <laughs> we have a lot to cover. But first, as always, let's do a little housekeeping. We would love to hear from our listeners, so email us at nightnightspectre at gmail.com. That is N-I-G-H-T-K-N-I-G-H-T-S-P-E-C-T-E-R. T-O-R at gmail.com with your thoughts and questions, and you might just see them appear on a future episode. You can find Lawrence at produced by underscore LK on Twitch and Twitter. And you can find Elizabeth at it's Rizbiff, I-T-S-R-I-Z-B-I-F on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, you can connect with the Lore Party team on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch at Lore underscore party. Before we dive in, if you haven't watched the second episode of Moon Knight, Summon the Suit on Disney Plus yet, now's the time to pause and go watch it if you don't want to hear any spoilers. Because, once again, this is not live. Spoilers, be warned. Come back after you've watched the episode. And now that you've been officially warned, you can't legally sue us, and let's get into it. <laughs> so, episode summary. We hear the echoes of the jackal and are then shown Stephen waking up in his flat, still screaming, his body running out of the bed, but falls on the floor from the restrictions of the bed restraints. With the realization that he's back in his flat, Stephen seems to be somewhat defeated and frustrated. In his frustration, Stephen opens his mirror and calls for Mark, but Mark is nowhere to be found. Stephen then goes to the museum. Upon his arrival, he finds that part of the museum has been taped off due to a quote-unquote pipe burst. Stephen then watches the security footage with JD after warning him that it's like Area 51, like MI6 bonkers. And it probably did seem bonkers to JD, but not in the way that Stephen thought. The footage showed Stephen, but never showed the jackal. And when Steven requested JD fast forward to when he comes out of the bathroom, we see Mark Spector glaring up at the camera. We then see an upset Steven sitting in HR, where Steven finds out that the museum is not pressing charges, luckily. 
but gives him a pamphlet for a mental health institution and offers to arrange an appointment. How kind. The HR rep follows that up with, I know this is classic HR to say, but you're not alone. But what's really classic HR is that he says that and then fires Stephen. So you are, in fact, alone, Stephen. Never trust HR. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Stephen then visits Crawley again to talk through what has happened. From this one-sided conversation, Stephen deduces that he needs to find the storage locker that's associated with the key he found so he can prove himself to be not crazy. Which is kind of funny since he's already lost his job. After going to, quote, like five other branches of a storage company, Stephen finally finds the branch that has the storage locker he's looking for, number 43. The storage locker is more of a room with a cot, bins, and shelves with gear on them. Stephen sees a duffel bag next to the cot and opens it to first find a gun, which he pulls out as if he's touching something gross and then gently sets it down on the cot. We know how Stephen is with guns. He also finds some money in different currencies in the bag, but most importantly, he finds Mark's passport, seeing that his name is Mark Spector, and finds the scarab, reassuring Stephen that it's real. It's totally real. Then we hear from Mark, who pleads with Stephen to listen to him and tries to get him to take a nice nap so that Mark can take control. To which Stephen refuses, saying that he's never going to go to sleep again. And in one of my favorite lines of the episode, Stephen says, Look, I don't care how bloody handsome you are. Tell me what it is you are. (laughs) (laughs) Even Stephen knows how attractive Mark and him are. (laughs) (laughs) And Stephen finally gets an explanation. Mark says, I serve Conchu. I'm his avatar, which means you are too. Sort of. We protect the vulnerable and deliver Conchu's justice to those who hurt them. Stephen does not take that explanation well. No. Saying it's the stupidest thing he's ever heard and starts having a panic attack and then tells Mark that he's going to take this bag of illegal shit to the authorities so they can lock him up and hopefully fill him with enough pills from the NHS so that Stephen will get Mark out of his head. Pretty, uh, pretty sweet plan there. <laughs> Stephen exits the storage locker only to be chased through the halls by Conchu. Once blocked by Kanchu, Steven screams, everything freezes, and we see Steven running out of the building, this time not being followed by Kanchu. But as he runs into the road, he trips and falls in front of a motorist, which turns out to be Layla. Still believing she's talking to Mark, Layla explains that she's tracked Mark's phone and thought he was speaking to her on the phone in code to come find him. Layla also reveals that she is Mark's wife. Steven says that he'll explain everything back at his flat after being very confused that Mark has a wife. Once there, we find out that Layla and Steven both have the same favorite poet and both know unilaterals. We also find out that Mark sent Layla divorce papers without signing them, which prompts Steven to finally try to explain what's going on to her, while Mark continues to plead with Steven to keep her out of this. Only when Mark says, you're going to get her killed, you hear me, does Steven pause and change his mind. But Layla pushes him away from the bag and finds a scarab herself, which she identifies as pointing to Amit's Ushapti. Layla and Stephen's continued conversation about the situation and Stephen not knowing Layla gets interrupted by two detectives, D.C. Fitzgerald and D.C. Kennedy, knocking at the door. 
Stephen opens the door, and after a brief hello, the detectives push through the door, even though Stephen does not give them permission to, and they do not have a warrant. After searching his flat, the detectives find Mark's passport and accuse Stephen of being both having a fake passport and being a thief, so they take him with them. In the vehicle, we find out from D.C. Kennedy that Mark is a full-blown international fugitive that killed archaeologists at a dig site in Egypt, which, of course, Stephen denies doing. It wasn't me, it was Mark. (laughs) Rather than being taken to the police station, however, Stephen is taken to a neighborhood led by Arthur. Are we surprised? Not really. After being left alone in the car, Stephen tells Mark he's never giving him control ever again. Moments later, the car door is open and Stephen falls out, only to look up and see Arthur standing over him. With his glass shoes. <laughs> With those glass shoes. Arthur has Stephen's handcuffs removed. He then reveals to Stephen that he's aware of both Mark Spector and Kanchu, and asks Stephen if he thinks that Kanchu chose him as his avatar because his mind would be easy to break or because it was already broken. And accurately, Stephen says that he's not broken. He just needs some help, maybe. To which Arthur says that's why he's there, to help. Kanchu then appears, attempting to intimidate Stephen and ordering him to kill Arthur. Arthur immediately recognizes what's going on, guesses accurately what Kanchu is saying, and after Kanchu knocks over a trash can, Arthur assures Stephen it's alright, that that's all that Kanchu can do without his help. Arthur then walks Stephen around the neighborhood, showing him the good that he's done for these people and the relationships and the community that he's helped create here that has gone unheard of because, in quote, people don't want to hear good news. They'd rather cling to their fear, cling to their pain. Then enter what looks like a community center and these two vegans sit down at a table and eat lentil soup together. From Arthur, we learn more about Conchu that he tries to ensnare those with a strong moral conscience, that he throws temper tantrums, none of the gods respect him, and that he's banished. Kanju says he only punishes those that have already done harm, and that he is the real justice. We also learn more about how exactly Arthur knows him. Arthur was, in fact, Kanju's former avatar. Arthur explains to Stephen how Kanchu's justice comes too late because people have already been hurt by the time he takes action. However, Stephen questions the morality of judging an innocent person, especially if that innocent person is a child. But Arthur insists sometimes the cure is a little taste of the disease, relating the amputation of a diseased limb to killing a child that could grow up to commit crimes, which Stephen wholeheartedly disagrees with. Arthur then shows Stephen his cane, (laughs) which was Ahmed's gift to her first avatar that has a tiny sliver of her power in it in an attempt to intimidate Stephen to give up the scarab. Stephen refuses, but Layla enters the hall saying that she has it while holding it above her head. Arthur tells Layla that she couldn't possibly understand the value of what she's holding. Once Layla gets over to Stephen, she urges him to put on the suit. But Stephen doesn't understand what she's saying. First he thinks she says soup. He's just confused. She gives Stephen the scarab and they both run away from Arthur and the members of the community that are trying to get the scarab from them. Arthur starts to summon another jackal while we see Layla has fighting skills and Stephen is still running scared. They make it into a room filled with what looks like a bunch of wrapped up bodies or I assume mummies 
Layla tries to help Steven summon the suit, but between Layla telling him he's Mark and Mark trying to get him to take over, Steven breaks down. Soon after, the jackal, who Layla cannot see, breaks in and tackles Steven out of the window. As Steven is falling from the building, we hear Conchu yell for Steven to summon the suit. Steven screams suit and hits a pipe as he falls, but lands in the hero style on the ground in the Mr. Knight suit we've been waiting to see. And then, in Steven fashion, loses his balance and falls over. Once Steven stands up, he realizes his clothes have changed and that him falling from such a height should have been much worse. Mark is wondering why they look like a psycho Colonel Sanders rather than Moon Knight, but Stephen thinks they look sharp, which we both agree with. Yes. <laughs> and as Stephen is playing with little poles found in his jacket, and Mark is so done with Stephen's shit, the jackal lands on him. As Layla goes into the street, Stephen is thrown through the gate into said street, and we see that like the Moon Knight suit, the Mr. Knight suit provides increased strength. So when Steven tries to grab a car bumper to get his bearings, he rips it off the car entirely. After Layla comes towards Steven saying, you look different, Steven is thrown around by the jackal, which is still invisible to Layla, and Steven yells for her to stay away. Still confused at what is happening, Layla throws a bottle at the jackal, and she's finally able to see that it is real after the bottle shatters on the jackal's head and the outline of its face can now be seen. Now with both Layla and Steven being attacked by the jackal, Mark again tells Steven to give him control, saying that he cannot handle this. But Steven doesn't listen. He thinks that he can handle this, so he gets up and taunts the jackal to get it away from Layla. And then Steven gets really into it. He takes off his jacket, throws it on the ground, rolls up his sleeves, and just, as expected, jumps around like he doesn't know what he's doing, saying, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. My name is Steven with a V. <laughs> I can't. When the jackal comes at him, he miraculously lands the punch and is so excited that he stops paying attention and is momentarily super kicked by the jackal into the street next to a bus, where... They are now in sight of pedestrians, one calling Stephen a fancy drunk. After Stephen gets bashed into the bus a couple of times and hit by a car, Mark, even more tired of Stephen's shit at this point, says, someone's going to get hurt if you don't let me help. And Stephen finally agrees to give Mark control. For now. Cue Moon Knight suit transformation and Mark scaling a building to get the jackal away from the innocent, innocent bystanders. Now running over rooftops and jumping from building to building and parkouring all over the place, Mark is able to get the jackal into a position where he's successfully able to impale and defeat said jackal. Mark takes off the suit, panting, looks in all of his pockets and realizes that he no longer has the scarab and immediately falls to his knees while yelling shit. We then see a man who appears to be homeless pick up the scarab. Arthur approaches the man, telling him that he can offer him food. Clothing, but not that scarab, only to then kill the guy. So uh, it seems like Arthur couldn't offer him shit. Layla is in the distance uh, watching nearby, which Arthur notices after the fact. We're then taken to Mark on his knees, head down in frustration, when we hear Stephen, now the one in the mirror, asking Mark, so is this what it's like being on the inside? Mark seems confused to see Stephen like this but nods his head and says, yeah. When Steven says that it's horrible, Mark tries to comfort him, saying he'll be all right, and to breathe through it, it gets easier. 
Stephen then asks Mark how long he's been doing this, to which Mark responds, he doesn't know, a, a long time. Stephen, admitting he doesn't like this at all, attempts to take the body back, but is unsuccessful. Mark apologizes to Stephen, saying there's always managed to be a wall between them, but something has changed that's made the person actively in control stronger. After hearing Stephen tell him that he's eaten away parts of Stephen's life like a parasite, Mark promises that that will change once his debt is paid and explains that if it weren't for Conchu, they wouldn't be alive. Mark remains relatively level-headed through this exchange until Stephen tells Mark that he's abandoned his wife, which definitely pisses Mark off. The two go back and forth until Mark reaches a breaking point and smashes in the window that was showing Stephen's reflection until we no longer see Stephen. Then enter Conchu with his wind gust tantrums to tell Mark that he's failed at not letting Stephen interfere in keeping the scarab from Arthur, basically gaslighting him by telling him that he's ungrateful and altering the terms of their agreement, just like Darth Vader, and laughing at the idea of Mark thinking he owns his body. Mark assures Kanju that they'll find another way to get to Amit's tomb first. Kanju then slightly changes his tune, but not his tone, by saying, you know I'll protect you with everything I have. You are worth protecting. Mark says that he'll do whatever it takes. Then Kanju will let him go. But Kanju brushes off Mark, saying that he knows that Mark enjoys the work that he has for him. They need each other. And when Mark says, we have a deal... Conchu reminds him that if they part, Mark isn't going to like his next candidate, a.k.a. Layla. He's pimping. After a long pause, Mark looks up at Conchu and asks, where are we going? To which Conchu replies, where the hell do you think? We then see a blanket fall off a broken mirror, clearly from Mark, revealing Stephen sitting on a bed while Mark is sitting on the ground, drunk next to the bed. Mark takes another swig straight from a bottle of whiskey then gets up from the floor and slowly walks over to the window. Once he opens the drapes, we see pyramids. We've arrived in Egypt. So now that we've gone through our just like summary of the episode, the events of the episode, there was a lot to unpack there. Let's talk about our overall thoughts. I think overall, I definitely enjoyed this episode kind of even more than I enjoyed the first one. There was so much packed in this episode that I would love to sit here and just dissect, but we do not have time for that. But I'm, I'm most excited about the connection between Arthur and Conchu, which we'll get into later, and the fact that we're finally seeing the Mr. Night suit in action, even when it's brought to life by Steven in his quirky way. It was very entertaining. Definitely. And I think this episode certainly has a lot of like small parts to unpack, which you know you probably get from our uh, episode summary. You know, I, but I have to say that like I'm absolutely loving how the MCU is uh, portraying Moon Knight because I feel like it's being handled very well. Like Ethan Hawke mentioned in um, some of the featurettes that there is a duality to everything in this show, and at first it seemed like that was just kind of like press tour talk, like you know, just to to drum up some suspense. But honestly. Just the contrast between like Kanchu and Ahmed in this episode and the price of their justice is proof of this. It's it's so like to me, it's actually refreshing to to be fed like these small tidbits of Mark's origin story through the perspective of his alter Stephen and people like Layla who are very familiar with Mark overall. Absolutely. It's like, you know, once again, I'm gonna give a standing ovation to Arthur Harrow 
each episode, he makes me understand his worldviews like even more, even though like I am in direct opposition to that. Always throwing in those little nuggets of information, but not executing them <laughs> in the right way. But I honestly, I feel like, you know, the best part that we have the same favorite part of this episode, which was our introduction to Mr. Knight. And, you know, although the appearance was brief and slightly jarring, (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, being played through the lens of like the like goober Steve Grant, I do like how they seem to really be setting up like the dichotomy between Mark as Moon Knight being the brutal person that's willing to do anything to protect people and Stephen Grant as Mr. Knight being the voice of uh, reason and the murderless protector. So now that we've talked about our overall thoughts of the episode, you know, we want to take a look at some of the notable characters from the episode. Yeah, so first, let's take a look at my girl Layla. We finally get to meet her in person, and we learn, with probably as much surprise as Steven, that she's in fact Mark's wife. Yeah, that was actually shocking. (laughs) It was like, what? Okay. Uh, Hey. (laughs) Bye, Marlene. Uh, (laughs) But at least for now, if Mark goes through with signing those divorce papers like an idiot, which is like, who is the real idiot here, Conchu? Right. Like, (laughs) this man who is like, who doesn't like violence, doesn't want to play with guns, or the dude that just, like, is going to go divorce his his wife for a reason that she'd probably end up kicking his ass over and tell him to suck it up and stay married. Like, Layla clearly has fighting skills. She clearly would be like, I got this. You don't need to worry about me, you idiot. Right. I think, like, the one that was one of the best things that was, was shown is, like, Layla is also, like, a complete independent badass who very much can take care of herself and take care of Steven, even when he's all powered up by God juice in a white suit. (laughs) Moon God juice. (laughs) Like, I just, like, she was the only one that defeated a henchman inside the thing. Mm -hmm. You know, she walked into a whole cult city with a scarab that everybody wanted and then didn't give it up. Right. She also watched a man get murdered, but, you know, hey. Uh, But, like, I mean, and she fought an invisible jackal with nothing but a broken beer bottle, so, like, that's like yeah she's got the skills she's got the skills yeah like fighting a, a monster street style like well you have no powers i would understand why Conchu would be like yeah i could you'd probably be the next one that's also why i'm like mark oh. she's not like do you not have any faith in your own wife that she wouldn't be like oh you know what i'm gonna do this now i'm gonna like after seeing what it did to you or like how you wanted to get out or whatever i don't know and i mean one one thing to note, you know, before we transition into the next group of characters is that we did mention that uh, Arthur talked about Kanchu. Do you think Kanchu picked you because you're easy to break or because you're already broken? Uh, I would feel that he would have a tough time with Layla. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure that you can all imagine that all, Layla in general brings up a lot of questions for us, but we will get into the questions later. Goodbye, Marlene. Ain't nobody missing you. Bye. So the next, the group of characters that we do want to talk about next are, we're going to mash these together. It's Arthur and Kanchu, um, because there is a great back and forth between them, and there's a lot learned about them together. Um, so we've got an answer to one of the questions we had in our last episode about what possible connection could there be between Arthur and Mark. And now we know it's that Arthur was the previous avatar to Kanchu, meaning he was the previous Moon Knight. 
which again leaves us with many more questions that we'll get into later. But we also get a glimpse into what can only be described as the raging boner of justice these two seem to have. Just raging. Yes. It's just, it was a whole pissing contest of justice. (laughs) (laughs) Which posits the question, is it justice before or after the fact, or is it how said justice is delivered that really makes one righteous? Like Arthur berates Kanchu for being a childish baby, unfavored and banished by the gods, someone who delivers justice only after others have suffered. He also warns Stephen of Kanchu's treachery, while Kanchu argues his justice is delivered only to those who have harmed others. At the same time in this episode, we see Kanchu lay claim to Mark's body, which isn't really just, and, you know, that he's already got his sights on Layla as his next fist of vengeance. So, you know, good character development for both of them. Right. It was a baby, a baby god, and a man baby. <laughs> love it, love it. You know, duality and all that. But we finally get to see the Moon Knight suit in action, and apparently the suit's origin in the MCU is just that Steven thinks it's of summoning a suit and thinking about his own drip and not Kanju's aesthetic is how we get the Moon Knight suit. Which which I gotta say that for the, the Mr. Knight suit, I wanted it to be a little bit more fitted, and I know that's a weird complaint, but I was like, damn, Steven, you should have let Mark summon a suit because at least it would have been tailored. But seeing the Mr. Knight suit in action was... Like honestly, I, one of our one of our favorite favorite parts. Also, the line that came right after it, which if you've listened to our other episodes, I've made a lot of references to Kanchu being the Colonel Sanders god. <laughs> and now we have our reference of like the psycho Colonel Sanders comment from Mark. This is, I feel like just the universe keeps answering us. Yes. <laughs> My avatar shit. Your, your Colonel Sanders shit. What? What next? What other comments? <laughs> The 11 herbs and spices of justice. <laughs> Put that on a shirt. But like, you know, Mark is super pissed about it. He's super pissed about the suit because it's not the, uh, you know, armor of Kanchu. But maybe he's just jealous. You know, I think he's jealous. Has it, he ever tried to ch- to like conjure up a suit that doesn't look like that one? And, and that, you know, it honestly posits another interesting question because like in the comic books, those were just suits. And so, like, seeing that the Moon Knight has had several suits over the years, it seems like it might be possible that we could get introduced to some of the other variants of Moon Knight suits. Yeah. Mark just has to focus, you know, focus a little bit harder and stop wearing that old dusty-ass cape. Absolutely, and I feel like maybe we have a chance of seeing some new variations. Right. Like, obviously, other than the new variation we have in this. Right. And, like, you know, either way, the uh, Mr. Knight suit seems to grant... Um, Steven the same enhanced abilities that it does with Mark. Um, You know, uh, we see, like, he's got enhanced strength where he rips a bumper off of a car, and he's got enhanced durability because he gets his ass handed to him a lot. Mm -hmm. Even to a point where, like, you know, he takes several blows head-on and and a head-on collision with a car and still stands up, not dead. Yeah, and I mean, they, like we said, like, in the summary, Steven's even, like, that That should have been worse when he fell from the building and didn't splat 
Yeah, man, yeah, man whacked his back on a pipe and, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have to crack it like Tobey Maguire. Right. So, like, yeah, like, it seems it seems like he still they still have the same powers. And, um, you know, it's it's funny because I do think it does set up that, like we mentioned, it sets up that dichotomy of, like, Mark as Moon Knight and Steven as Mr. Knight. Yeah. So hopefully and, we can get Jake as something. Yeah. But it also, like, I'd be interested to see if they do let... If, like, Steven can't get the Moon Knight suit, if he has to be Mr. Knight, or if, like, Mark can't get the Moon Knight, or the Mr. Knight suit, like, if it doesn't go both ways. And the reason, like, obviously, like, thinking of a suit, that's the suit that Steven's going to think of, but, like, does he even have the ability to to conjure the Moon Knight suit? Right. We'll see. And I think that, like, the only thing that was the thing that was really jarring is the fact that steven just can't fight all those powers (laughs) all those powers and man only lands one punch like he had no hands whatsoever he got his ass handed to him and mark had to take care of it i mean like he also had like those cool set of whoop ass sticks in his pocket and didn't even use them so like what's up with that i mean I'm not surprised at all that Steven can't fight and that he did what he did. I like I do wish that he would have attempted to use his quote unquote little poles. <laughs> like <laughs> Like I think that would have been so great. I mean the scene was so great to me in general, but like I I definitely would have been would have loved to see him, you know, try to play with those <laughs> those little poles. I would have liked to see him whoop some ass. You yeah. Know? Though he he did get that one punch in. Yeah. He but then got too excited. Right. And got, you know, humbled. <laughs> <laughs> right. But hey, maybe maybe we'll see more of Mr. Knight in the future with, you know, better fighting skills. Yeah. But with that being said, we're gonna take a break here. Hopefully this ad is about fighting or something, and Steven is listening because damn. Get your money out for those karate classes, kids. <laughs> And now that we're back from an ad I assume is probably not about fighting, sadly. Or guns. Or or crime fighting in general. <laughs> we have character quotes next. And I feel like this is just going to be a trend throughout this entire series. But Arthur, the man, the legend, is mainly where we're getting our quotes from. Yeah. He waxed poetic pretty much every episode so far. Yeah, so what this this first quote isn't really necessarily the most poetic thing, but I think it was very interesting to for him to have said is that when he looks at Mark and is like, that's all that he can do without your help, referring to the fact that he just like moved a trash can. Because to me, that seems like he's alluding to the fact that Kanchu can't actually hurt you. All he can do is do intimidation tactics to try to get you to do what he wants. Right. Speculations, obviously, but like... Kanchu can make some annoying wind blow and knock over some stuff and then yell at you a lot. Right. Which definitely, like, when he's when he was like, oh, uh, <laughs> Kanchu throws tantrums like a two-year-old, I was like, yeah, I guess if I couldn't actually do anything to you but blow some wind around, I would <laughs> probably get frustrated enough to throw tantrums too. But anyway... <laughs> true. That is very true. Our next quote from Arthur also is... You know, people don't want to hear good news. They'd rather cling to their fear 
cling to their pain. So it's like a, another like little nugget of, of truth from our cult leader that yeah. we've got here. It's it's one definitely the like so many trends, but Arthur is speaking the truth. Like he may not totally have the grounds of like executing these things correctly or something, but he 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 understands the world. Yeah, like he did t- to his credit actually like remove crime from a town. Um, he's encouraging education, learning about different cultures and languages, and they're providing free food. So, like, as far as cult leaders go, like, this is kind of better than your average day, like, Jared Leto-style cult. So, oh, you know. God. <laughs> so, like, I mean, Arthur's out here with his glass shoes helping the people, but, you know, also murdering. So. Yeah. It's, like, it's bad to say in modern day, like, there's probably worse things, but, you oh, know. Oh, God. But like, yeah, it's it's still not not the best. No, um, not the best look. No, not at all. Our next quote from Arthur is, do you think Conchu chose you because you're an easy mind to break or because you're already broken? Which I think was a was an interesting quote because it also goes back to like the Lemire run, something similar that Conchu said to Mark when he was trying to take his body. Like, we know that uh, Conchu in the comics chose Mark. Well, he chose Mark specifically because Mark had was weak of mind, as Conchu put it. Yeah. Mark would be easily to easy to manipulate. So, like, it's a it's very, very um, it's a good nod to the comic book, but it's also very telling of Conchu's motivations and how he himself achieves his version of justice. Yeah. And I also really do want to echo what we said in our summary like I'm glad that Steven answered that with no I'm not broken because you aren't Steven (laughs) like don't let this cult leader try to tell you otherwise we're not here for bashing mental health right it gets enhanced a little bit later when Kanchu talks about how he begin or how he handles like delivering justice and I think there was even another quote that we didn't list here that goes along with us it was talking about uh, Kanchu ensnares those with a strong moral compass. Mm-hmm. So, like, going hand in hand, Kanchu is, this is like a very good depiction of Kanchu. He's someone who manipulates people. He takes advantage of their kindness and their weaknesses in order to deliver justice for the vulnerable. Yeah, You have to manipulate the vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> seems, seems right. Seems right. And then our, our last quote that we want to talk about from Arthur is, the difference between medicine and poison is sometimes only dosage, which things are only as bad as they are depending on your dosage. Like a little bit of water, but a tsunami is going to hurt. And I think the overall meaning of the quote was like, in context of the fact that they were talking about killing children, it's like, um, you know, sometimes it's like the, the concept the concept of doing this appears bad, but when you look at the overall picture, it's the removal of evil in the world so everybody else can live in heaven on earth. It's a strange way of being like, yes, this is a questionably moral decision, but the outcome uh, outweighs the act of. Yeah, like the needs of the many outweigh the needs of a few. 
It's like yeah. I can kill a little bit, kill some people just so that the greater good can prosper. Yeah, definitely. And it's like so telling of his, uh, it's kind of just so telling of what he's trying to do and the goals of this cult, which we'll actually get into here in our next section, our burning questions. So one of our, our first, um, so one of our first questions that we have is, how did Arthur become Conchu's avatar and what exactly happened to make him stop? Yeah, like I really need them. Not that I feel like they will, but like I really need them to talk about the origin of this. <laughs> yeah, because like it's it's funny because Arthur still has a very strong sense of justice. So I feel like there are two paths. It could be like it could be that Arthur's I felt like Arthur probably got tired of defending people after they were already like hurt or harmed or dead. And like Conchu probably berated him mm-hmm. for um, like having those viewpoints. Yeah. And I think it's also probably like you get jaded. Yeah. After a while of doing the same things over and over again and considering Arthur was like, there's always going to be one more thing. Yeah. I feel like he probably just got to a point where it's like, there's always going to be one more thing because people are always going to do bad shit because bad people exist. Yeah. And then he hears about Amit and her whole spiel of like just getting rid of the evil at the root. And he's like, you know what? If we did that, then I wouldn't have to do one more thing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, he's also a very he was a powerful person. You know, he had the power of the God of the moon, the power of like the God of vengeance on his side. Um, And like, he could do anything basically, except for the one thing he wanted to do. So like, this is like an evolution of his own um, ideals. Absolutely. And so our next burning question. How the hell do you hide Steven from your wife? Like, if Layla knows about the suit, why would she not also know about Steven? Or at least, like, why would this be more of a far-fetched thing than an Egyptian deity, like, raising you from the dead so that you can be his avatar? Like, I'm curious to know what story Mark has told her about Moon Knight and, like, the root causes of its actions and if it's, like, the full truth. Like, does she actually know what happened or does she just think that he's a vigilante that has the ability to make a suit appear yeah i'm kind of wondering because she mentions in the episode that when you know when he when steven is out and he's in with his accent and everything she goes is this another one of your fake personalities which also makes me still to me alludes to jake but like is this another one of your fake personalities is like or like your aliases. Yeah, like when she she called it, she was like said it was fake too. Like I wonder if if she has ever seen any of these things, and then Mark has just explained it away. Yeah. Like I just had to do this because I'm a mercenary, and uh, you've seen the adventures we go on. I also wonder, as his wife, how she's connected to his origin. So like, yeah. was she the one who placed him at the altar of Conchu? Like, how did he get these powers? And I think once we get a better uh, telling of the. Moon Knight MCU origin, like we'll get some more of these answers. But it is interesting because like even even appearing as a um, even appearing as Moon Knight 
and then as Mr. Knight, or Mr. Knight and then Moon Knight, like, she can't have any more doubts that something is wrong. But hopefully we'll find out. I Hopefully we'll find that out in the next episode. Yeah. Be- because she did just see him switch to, like, whole white suit fighting a jackal very poorly in an unmarked fashion to transforming into Moon Knight and parkouring across multiple buildings only to throw a batarang at him. Right. <laughs> a moonerang. I mean, I would assume she would know Mark as her husband well enough to know that he's probably not going to act like a complete fool for long enough for like all of that shit to happen to before he actually like takes something seriously. Yeah, because she purposely put herself in danger so he would use the suit. Like, so the yeah, like so that's why I'm just kind of like, yeah, you got to you got to know. So, maybe she's de- <laughs> maybe it's just a straight up denial thing. <laughs> I'm so curious to know about that. Yeah. Is it justice before or after the fact, or is it how justice is delivered that really makes one righteous? This is a question that's posited through the episode when we look at Ahmet killing everybody by judging their souls prematurely, even if you're, you know, a baby or you haven't done anything in the present world or, you know, the the present part of your life. Like there is that version of justice that only leaves a few people. And then there's Conchu's version of justice that, you know, to some is coming after uh, you've already been hurt to avenge you. And at the same time, you're protecting the vulnerable by manipulating the vulnerable. Then there's also just like people that are there. You know, there's also Mark, who is like kind of the the third piece of this, who is someone who self-sacrifices in order to protect the uh, the people that are around him um, and, and keep them from from danger. Like Mark is out here doing things that he doesn't want to do that he's not proud of, but he's doing them to keep Layla safe because that's someone that means the world to him. Yeah. So it's an interesting episode topic, and it's probably something that we will go into deeper on a different episode. Absolutely. And our next question is, does Arthur actually know Mark or know of Mark? In the first episode, he referred to him as a mercenary. And then we got more information about the infamous dig site hit that is part of Mark's origin as Moon Knight to spin Mark as a bad person. Is this just a false lead or is there something more here? That's what I was really wondering. Yeah, that is a good question. Because like he does refer to him as mercenary and then we talk about the, you know, him being a mercenary. And I wonder if he just learned about Mark through the two detectives. So or like do is it like one of those things where you leave a job and you know they hired the new guy and all you know about that new guy is that they're like they a suck. mercenary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, that like oh Mark Mark, that sounds like that that one dude that that took over my job. <laughs> yeah, Mark. Oh, I remember that guy, they paid him more. <laughs> and our last question, which might not need that much of an answer, but does Kanju actually want Layla as the next avatar or is he just being an, a, a manipulative dick to Mark? I would say, honestly, that I think that, and we kind of mentioned this earlier, I do feel like he is using this more to manipulate Mark. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to protect Mark, or not protect Mark, I think he wants to keep Mark as his herald for as long as humanly possible. 
Like Layla is a badass, but Layla is also like strong of mind and strong of will. And so I don't think Kanchu would have the leverage to control her in the same way that he can control Mark. Because just from Arthur's statement, like quoting MC Hammer, you can't touch this. Like he, Mark can't like Mark can technically not listen to Kanchu and Kanchu could just keep coming. But yeah. like, I don't know. It depends. Honestly, I think it kind of depends on how easy it is for Kanchu to actually leave, because I feel like if Kanchu could just leave and go to Layla, why hasn't he? Yeah, that's why I'm I'm really interested to find out how and why and all that stuff with Arthur no longer being the fist of Kanchu. Like what happened and how did that happen? Because like when Mark was la- like, if if they're still going to go go with like Mark being laid in front of Kanchu's statue, Kanchu being like, yo, dude, you're about to die, but I could be making my avatar and you wouldn't die. Like, is that the opportunity that was presented to Kanchu and be like, OK, Arthur, peace out, Girl Scout. I'll just take this dude over here. Or like, did he not have an avatar at the time? Like, I'm really interested to find that out. But I do, I agree. I don't think that, like, while Layla is a badass and she probably would be, you know, a pretty sweet moon knight, I don't think that that's where Conchu's headed. I think he's just like, oh, Mark's a really good mercenary, yeah. even without the moon knight stuff. So I should keep him as long as fu- fucking possible. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the ultimate point of this episode and, like, you know, even this can carry over into our final thoughts is more of... um we are sitting at we are sitting between the the judgment or the perception of justice of two seemingly immortal beings that are higher than humans mm-hmm. and so we're we are basically it's this like dueling fates it's the the one man child and one person who feels like they are all knowing like we got a person that's like, yes, I, I'm I'm real justice and everything, but I manipulate people and I'm using their wife, you know, I'm, I'm using this person's wife and his mental illness against him. Right. And I'm also like, I'm, I, you know, I'm use, manipulating this person and like using his wife against him. But then at the same time, um, you have this other person that's like, I don't care if you haven't done anything now, if you do something evil then that's it. Like, you're dead. Yeah. So we're... Yeah, so I mean, honestly, when I when I look at it that way, I look at it, it's just like, I think Kanchu is just posturing to get Mark to stay um, in the same way that I feel like Ahmet is posturing to, um, posturing to Arthur to get him to carry out her will. Absolutely. I agree with that to move on to our final thoughts. Again, love this episode. I'm really interested to see where this is going with who can do what with what suits, uh, if we're going to actually get Steven trained and how to actually, like if he's gonna actually be a part of this, um, if Steven is going to have the opportunity to come back since now we've been told by Mark that the one who is in control is stronger now than before. So Steven, you know, can't try to get back unless Mark gives him control. Will Mark give him control? Like, what is going to happen there? And definitely, like, I need to know more about Arthur and Kanchu together. Like, that needs to 
definitely be a thing we we hear about. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, these episodes keep getting better and better. And from what I've heard with, you know, not knowing anything of the future episodes, that it does keep like keep getting better and crazier. And as you know, as it goes along, I'm excited to see. um, I'm honestly just excited to see more of Mark's perspective, since it seems like that's where we're heading. But I'm also um, very excited to continue to watch Steven develop as a character um, and to maybe learn from Mark, but also influence the way Mark, you know, approaches Moon Knight. And honestly, I too am excited to see more, learn more about Mark's origin as Moon Knight and this whole like conflict with Arthur and Kanchu and where it started, how it ended, and how it will ultimately resolve itself through Ahmed. As a parting thought, I'm also excited for like more of these little like Easter egg things as I know that we're like Victor is from Yucatan and Yucatan is where in the comics that Arthur was experimenting on people. So like I think it's like Yeah. I'm excited for for those things too, just for those us seasoned Moon Knight people to just kind of like pick things from. Yeah, and the the dig site thing that they mentioned and Mark being a mercenary and everything. I think definitely excited for all of those tune in next week and we'll have another episode of night night specter for you and with that this is the truth learned that being moon knight is not a curse nor a state of penance it's simply who and what he was always meant to be We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you under the blue moon.